even though we're more connected, we're still so isolated. A lot of people end up staying at home or perhaps even just staying by themselves and just spending time on social media. And yet there is a rise in not only loneliness, but also mental health issues because people are still digitally connected, but physically and mentally isolated. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Bloomex podcast. Uh, thank you again for MCRO for sponsoring this episode. You guys have been doing a great job on continuing to support us and the community we're trying to, uh, trying to build. Uh, MCRO, if you guys are ever looking for any programming help, uh, building apps, software, definitely hit them up. They're super uh, responsive, LinkedIn and um, other channels. And also, again, thank you for Huddle for having us here at this beautiful space uh, and filming out of, uh, out of the conference room. Um, shout out to you guys. Okay, Najib, thanks for joining us. Uh, you're here to promote uh, Council Club, mm -hmm. a new initiative you're working on. As well as a book here you brought on. So thank you for bringing us a copy. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so funny enough, like we reached out and started talking, and right after we talked, we found a, Henry actually found a video of you here at Huddle um, talking about corking spaces and stuff like that. So we had kind of like a weird what what the heck moment because <laughs> we thought we were one of the first people here. We and we never ran into each other, right? So um, cool to cool to finally meet and sit down and talk. Yeah, uh, let's go in a little deep dive of uh, co-working spaces and your involvement. Interesting thing, you're a archi previous architect. Yeah, yeah, used right? to be an architect before. Uh, it was my past life and mm. uh, yeah, now shifted over here, but we can go wherever you want. Awesome. Well, uh, let's start with that. Like, how does an architect go into starting bo creating books, going into co-working spaces? Like, what's that journey look like? Yeah, so it was interesting. So while I was in university, so mm -hmm. I went to Ryerson and I don't know if there are any alma maters watching, but um, yeah, there we go. So, so the thing is, while I was in university, um, yeah, I was kind of like, like, yes, I would study, but then I would also like look at like, how do I kind of go about and move forward, mm -hmm. right? Like, so yes, I started getting a job in the summer, but then after I'm like, you know what? I really want to work by myself, right? So while I was in first year, I spoke to, uh, I partnered with one person who was in second year and one person in third year. And we're like, hey, let's start a business, mm. right? And uh, the fascinating thing about that is we knew nothing about how to start a business and entrepreneurship wasn't cool and hip then. This was like 2006, mm. right? And I'm pretty sure you can kind of relate like starting businesses before. So we started doing the only thing we could to make money, which was teach programs. Right? Like, and the thing is, we taught Photoshop, AutoCAD, etc. Yeah. The fascinating thing about that is that we actually didn't have like laptops or classes. So we basically went into like the labs, like the school labs and taught over there. Right? And I didn't know like the advanced level of the courses. So mm. I basically learned it during the day and I would teach it in the evening. Right? Um, and then from there, we eventually went into doing, um, getting our first um, project and doing a renovation for a house and starting a business. So we actually uh, worked, worked in Ontario, worked in Mexico and Africa as well, designing houses. But that was while I was in you know, university, went into architecture. And right after that, um, I realized working there, because it was around the 08, 09 kind of recession area. So there wasn't a lot of new renovations in, um, in Canada. And because of that, um, I realized I wasn't really excited with what I was doing, right? So I'm like, you know what? I have my license, right? I can stamp small buildings. And I just wasn't happy with where I was. Mm -hmm. I looked at my boss and he has a great life, but that's not what I wanted to do, especially because 
I was doing a lot of things by myself. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be doing the most sensible thing I could, which is I buy a one-way ticket to South America. Mm-hmm. And the only Spanish I knew was uno, dos, tres. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I went there. There was an earthquake-devastated city there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, guys, I have an architecture background. Do you guys want help? And they're like, yeah, come on down. And it was, uh, it was in a city called Lima, uh, sorry, in Peru, Pisco, Peru. It was an earthquake-devastated city. So went and de- built houses, hospitals, and parks, not only designing it, mm-hmm. but also building it with my own hands. And it was fascinating to see that w- world. Um, so I did a bit of backpacking, came back, and I asked myself, what do I want to do next, right? And the question that came up was, if this was my last day on earth, if I was on my deathbed right now, what's going to be going through my mind? It's not going to be like how much money I made. It's not going to be like, oh, did I like have that cake, right? It's really three questions it comes down to. Did I live? Did I love? And did I matter? Mm. Right? Did I live? Did I live a life that I was happy with? Right? Not that someone else expected, like that I was happy with, right? Yeah. Did I love family and relationships? And three, did I matter? Did I really make a difference? Because at the end of the day, that's really what are you leaving the world with? And I realized I did not get an aspect to focus on the last part. Did I matter? And that, from that point on, is where Kickstarted, not only going through charity, writing a book, but also creating other businesses from there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool, okay. I mean... You gave a lot to digest about your history there. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that journey really comes from stemming the fact of you trying to discover yourself and discover something, right? And where did that come from? Like, what were you looking to do, to become or do, to do? Yeah, like, the, I, I think at the end of the day, it's like, you know, going back to that one life that we have mm-hmm. and just being grateful for that, right? And this one quote that stands out to me once in a while is, and I forgot who, who said it, it might have been Emerson, and the statement goes is like, one of your greatest nightmares is at the, on your last day on earth, you actually meet the person you could have become. Mm-hmm. And that's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. Imagine the person you could have become if yeah. you didn't procrastinate everything, and you're mm-hmm. meeting that person, and you see like, I could actually be, been or become that person. Mm. And from that point on, it's like, how do you kind of accomplish and do things as much as possible and just move forward and fast? Yeah. So that's really what kind of leads me to just really push forward. So is it about legacy? Like what you want to leave behind? Or is it more about what you can become? Like, Both. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't need to be impactful. Like it doesn't need to be one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, why do you do what you do? Like mm-hmm. what motivates you right now to do not only this podcast, but also your work? Yeah, I mean, this podcast is literally born out of the idea of like, there's something happening right now. There's like a there's like a real crisis in our in our evolution path, I guess, almost, where this new wave of technology is coming, disrupting everything we've known, all the processes that uh, that existed before, mm-hmm. were built of the past industrialized uh, age, right, and opening up a whole new frontier, a possibility. And people are running around doing all sorts of things, creating these apps, creating these components that can automate away tasks. And we're talking about jobs being lost, but yet completely new jobs you never knew existed are being created. And there's a whole mess going on. Right. So we're like, why not explore that and see what people are doing what are their mo- through their motivations, right? Yeah. What are they creating and doing um, rather than seeing you know, what's been taken away from us? How are people utilizing these tools to effectively reach their goals, to empower themselves to do that? And I mean, part of that is talking to people like you, you know, I mean, you brought here a book that's been self-published, utilizing tools that's been allowed you to do so. Right. Right. So 
our abilities uh, has been like enhanced by technologies and yet it still feels like a lot of a lot of our capabilities uh, possibilities are taken away some of that's by too much choice right what do i do what do i see all that so we really want to explore what people are how people are navigating this new soup of like work the future of uh, of um, technology integrated living right the balance between work and and life and uh, one person came here and talked about this right like we don't li live in like a work life balance anymore it's more like work life integration right right and part of that is if your work becomes things that you want accomplished everything kind of works towards that legacy building yeah yeah right like what you're going to leave behind right your work becomes your vocation at that point right um, I mean, I talk about this a lot now about uh, Naval uh, Ravikant. He's like the yeah, co-owner yeah, 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 yeah. of Angelist. One of the what, fantastic, amazing yeah. thinker. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he talks about how technology is um, is almost turning us backwards to society, where the previous industrial age, everyone kind of came together in big groups and worked for these large corporations, chased that government job, that stable yeah. income. I just sit here and I get a drip, you know, feed, constantly feeding me, help me build my family, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Now we've become independent. And for some people that's amazing because mm -hmm. they're naturally they're like, yeah, go get it, it's hungry for her life, know exactly where they want to go or have this drive behind them. Right. But a lot of people are lost. You know, they're dealing with stuff, they're dealing with issues, they're, and they're not sure who they are or what they want. Mm -hmm. um, they hear, they're, you know, they're influenced by other people's activities a lot more. And the wide base of people are like really lost and confused right now about you know, what to do and who to become. Yeah, and, and I think the, there's like different aspects to it, right? It's, so the, the topic of loneliness, right, is like one issue. The mm. other is um, purpose, mm. right? Like, why do you do what you do? The other, the third thing is the aspect of technology, right? So if, if we kind of break these apart, we look at the last one first, like technology, right? If you look at what's happened year, several years ago, it's very similar to what's happening right now, right? We still want to eat. We still want to get to one place to another. We still want goods, right? Technology has just made things easier, right? So you have, you want to go, for, go from one place to another. Before you might walk, you might use the horse. Now you just push a button. It's still the same thing. You're just going from one place to another, right? In the future, if we have some sort of perhaps teleportation, if that ends up materializing, it's still the same thing. Going from one place to another is just a medium that changes, right? Food. Before it's like, you know, you, everything, everyone cooks by themselves or you go forage for something and then now you push a button or someone delivers it to you, mm -hmm. right? Or you go to a restaurant and, you know, someone cooks it for you. So the concept of technology just changes things, the, uh, the method. However, we still have the same basic human needs. We still want to, we want love, sex, you know, hunger, etc. Right. So that is one aspect from the technology point of view. The other thing you mentioned is about the purpose, right? It's like, why do we do what we do? I think mm. there's different elements of it. Right. And it's, it's kind of tied to the loneliness aspect as well, which is too often we're stuck in the weeds and we don't really take a step up to breathe and see, OK, where are we right now? Right. And more often than not, it often happens to a lot of people when some major change in activity happens in their life. Yeah. So someone passes away like a divorce or like a kid being born, then you, you stop and think, it's like, hey, what's exactly happening, right? What's like, is this how I want my son or daughter to grow up? Maybe not, right? What kind of life or what am I providing for them? Mm -hmm. That actually changes it. Sheryl Sandberg, she actually mentioned the uh, CEO of Facebook. She actually mentioned she was much more productive when she had, a, um, had children, 
right? And you see that from a lot of parents as well, right? So the purpose aspect, it changes when you have a major life event, right? And I think the, the other part, which is loneliness, which you touched on, is that the, the fact that even though we're more connected, you know, through, we have, everyone has a giant computer in their pocket, which is a cell phone, right? You can connect to anyone, you can talk to anyone, not even can you talk, you can do Skype, FaceTime, or Zoom, or whatnot. And because of that, you can literally almost see face-to-face, excluding VR, right, perhaps. So that is, even though we're more connected, we're still so isolated. A lot of people end up staying at home or perhaps even just staying by themselves and just spending time on social media. And yet there is a rise in not only loneliness, but also mental health issues because people are still digitally connected, but physically and mentally isolated, you know? Yeah, I mean, this is like the turning point of our, of our culture right now. I mean, do, are we, are the machines connecting us or are we connected by machines, right? Like, um, Matrix style, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like who is the enforcer? Who, who's, who's utilizing whom? Yeah. Um, and I think this becomes a great, a, a great fear among a lot of people, right? Like what the machines taking over. I mean, that's been like a forefront of our culture for so long. Right. Right. This is the Terminator, right from the Terminator, right? Skynet kind of stuff right. where the machines rule over us, the matrix where the machines utilize us. Right. And it's like, do we become slaves to the things we create um, or do we become better because of them? Right. right? Uh, I mean, one of the greatest thoughts I've heard is like, you know, the concept of when fire was created, right? Fire is a technology, mm-hmm. right? When fire is created, we changed. We lost the gut bacteria to di- digest, uh, like, you know, uncooked food. Right. We actually gained more calories per, per gram from, the f- from cooked food and were able to, you know, absorb more energy, right? Per, uh, right. per time. And because of that, we're able to develop brains. Like it's part of our evolution. It changed right. us as a species. Technology made us human. Right. Um, and I mean, I think a lot of people forget that because uh, it seems like it's such a, we have come to the point where technology is magic. You know? I mean, we don't know how Wi-Fi really works. We just right. know things just load up and things work. Yeah. Right. We don't know how the light bulb turns on. We just know electricity comes here. Yeah, exactly. There's so much deep knowledge that we don't understand that it seems like this is part of our life. It almost like it controls us. We're used to these environment, these artificial environments right. that almost like it's designed to control us. Like our work life, our, our school life. Yeah. Right. We're put these institutions that kind of drill us down that technology is meant to keep us with, in, 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 a, in a box. Yeah. Society needs us. And, and if, you, if you think about it, we're not getting any less technical as a society. Mm. Right. We're just, if, if anything, getting more technical. Right. And uh, I gave a TED talk uh, two, uh, two years ago, and it was about the concept of how do you kind of prepare for future jobs, mm. right? And one being which is you have to realize for, first is we're technically already have cyborgs. If we don't have our cell phones in our pockets, we feel like we've lost something, a part of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And in a way that makes us partly cyborgs, right? And if you think about it, if we're getting more and more technical as a society, we have, you know, like smart rings, we have other technological, like, like smart watches, gear, everything, right? The devices, not only on ourselves, but also elsewhere. You know, some, some companies actually have RFID chips implanted, mm-hmm. right? And in the future, like in reality, in order to kind of last the longest, so to speak, there are three things you want to focus on, right? It's like play, problems, and people, right? So play is really focused on creativity, right? Creativity is one of the last aspect that AI is able to kind of overcome completely, right? Mm -hmm. Now, 
granted, one thing to side note is that there is an AI system that was developed that was able to create paintings, right? Again, but painting is something subjective, just like creativity. But that's one thing. The other is problem, problem solving, right? Because mm -hmm. if you look at, you know, laying bricks or driving cars, all of these can be automated. And the last, but problem solving is very difficult. And the last is people. How do you deal with people? And it, I think it really comes with that because at the end, that's going to be hugely important. Mm. That's, that's interesting because it opens up a lot, right? Like, like going back to like technology, right? You, you brought up the thing about the ring, the smart tools, yeah, yeah, smart yeah. watches. Like, so my first smartwatch was like, I, I won an Excel competition, right? It was, it was really cool. The Samsung Gear V3. Yeah. And within two weeks, I hated it. All right, because it was an extension of the phone, not an extension of me. Right? It just became another way to use my phone. I'm like, I don't need that. This device is right here. You know what I mean? Right. It kept pushing notifications here, kept pushing phone calls here. Um, sometimes like, I'll pick up a call and it comes to the watch. And you know, for the f one time, it's cool to talk like sure. Batman, right? Sure. But like, over and over again, I mean, this became an extension of the, of the device, not of myself. Right. And again, I mean, that, then that comes back to the... Like, we have user-based design, right? Where you think about right. this. But I think it's a paradigm that people are, are still missing. Even like these big manufacturers who have all these engineers thinking about this, miss this component that humans want to feel empowered by technology. They want it to feel like it's working for them, not against them, right? I mean, and as a, as a society, I think it's better if, if, to hold that kind of framework. I think the consumers, like, they, they talk through their money, right? The technology pieces that come that helps them get mm -hmm. better, right, actually perform better in the market. But it goes down to that framework again. That's not really what's happening. Like, a lot of the times these tools are utilized, and it seems to be a battle back and forth between, like, between the technology being the user right. and you being the user. Right. Yeah, and I think the other aspect is like understanding the economics frameworks that you, that you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what is the economic incentives, right? If you have something like an iPhone or perhaps other smartphones, they incentivize for you to change your phone every year, mm -hmm. right? But it's the, the, the power law curve, which is initially one level improvement next year is going to be ma making a dramatic improvement. Yeah. But over the year, it's going to be making less, mm -hmm. right? So from that point of view, it's like, you need one side, and there's two aspects, right? You need one side of the economic to further, to invest in further feature innovation, but the other is like, do you really need it, like you mentioned, right? But part of what that means is if you have that more innovation, what we, what we touched on earlier, you know, we can go to Mars and we're able to build that rockets. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we won't have that money in the first place. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting. Right before the, we started, we were talking just about this, reminding asteroids, and you were speaking, you said you, uh, you were on a podcast, or you were, you were talking to somebody about uh, something about this? Yeah, yeah, so I was talking to Rob, and I, I forgot the gentleman's last name, but he's working with uh, Naveen Jain on mining asteroids on, like, basically in space, Yeah. right? And the fascinating challenge that he was having at that time, and this was a bit ago, and I'm pretty sure they've kind of figured out some sort of solution in the meantime, is that if you want to go up there in space, you have to get approval from someone, right? But it's in space, who owns the space, yeah. right? And that doesn't make any sense. And that's what I was having trouble understanding. Well, he's like, well, you have to launch from somewhere. I'm like, okay, but what if you were to launch from international waters? Yeah. And he's like, but to get to the international waters, you have to launch from a port, you know? So I'm like, okay, what if you build on anyway so we were kind of having if you build internationally yeah yeah, yeah. In international waters yeah because who owns a space yeah yeah right or even like mars and other planets see that's a dangerous idea like the ability to privatize space exploration right 
because all it needs is one company striking it rich. Right. And suddenly we have like these India, these India company, right? Or, yeah. you know, like which back then was like one of seven companies worth the, you know? Yeah, it was one of the largest, yeah. Yeah. And um, like that, like a corporation that can bloom out of nowhere and suddenly overlap governments. Right. Because that's a potential space. Like that's, you know, but um, the same, t- like, so this idea of space exploration really fascinates me. Right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Well, the moment you brought it up, Henry started laughing because like, yeah. we, we obsessively talk about it a lot. And, and if you look at like, something like real estate, right? Mm. Like a lot of, like if you, here in Toronto, we are in Toronto, mm. in Scarborough, real estate is obviously becoming more and more competitive as it yeah. is in major other cities. When you look at before in like the 1700s, in many new cities, how did they really come up with real estate? It was very simple. It was just like you get a group of people, have plots of land, first one to stake a ground, stick their stick in the ground, that's your plot, yeah. right? But then over time you see that certain places are more populous and that's like downtown, that's like the hot place to be and not others. So if you look at Mars, who decides that? Because you're not going to have the same thing where people just put a stake in the ground in Mars, right? Why not? Right? Or, or you might, yeah. right? But who decides on the plot, right? Like if Russia goes or China goes sure. into Mars and be like, this whole planet is ours. Yeah, exactly. Right? Right, what, what, what's that gonna happen? Exactly. And, right. and, and then it's like, okay, so they own it, but do they own it? Yeah. Right? And then, you ha- then if it gets to be more violent, if there is some sort of war, it's like, do you fight here or do you fight over there? Mm. Right? So it's like fascinating from that point of view. Absolutely. And one of the fascinating things is seeing the difference between like Blue Origin and, and, and uh, uh, what's it, SpaceX? SpaceX. Yeah. SpaceX being like, okay, we wanna be the manufacturer, right, that can produce these rockets to take you there take you into space. Um, where and the Blue Ridge is like, no, no, we just want to be the postal service that, you know, provides the infrastructure to connect everybody, right? Right. So people exist in, uh, people, there's, there's space exploration out there, perfect, you're going to be using our service. Um, and it's uh, two various parts, but it's the developing space ecosystem now, because people are coming in there. Another company will come in and be like, oh, cool, who's going to take care of the food there? Right. We're going to, okay, we'll take care of this. And people, there's companies putting it to get this together. It's like, it's happening. Yeah. You know I mean? And it's coming from private hands, supported a lot by government, mm-hmm. but it's coming from private, private. And, you know, one of the interesting things is like, is, is, is what's going to happen. Like, you know, back in the day, like merchant, uh, the, the, the merchant class, right? Right. Was this, a person who has enough wealth, you'll go buy a ship or a caravan or something and you hire people to defend it. Okay, go, go do this, go grab this stuff and come back. Yeah. You get a split of the profits. And you get pay, a stable pay, and then I take the bulk of the stuff. Uh, and that, that became a whole class of people, right? Right. And they were, you know, in between the ruling class and all this. I mean, is that what's going to happen now? We're going to have these giant companies that form around space, right? And is it going to be many small, many of these companies can profit from this? It's going to be a fund. Like, I'm, I'm interested in seeing who is providing that kind of infrastructure, like the legal the organizational infrastructure right. behind this, right? The, behind the scenes, the bankers, you know, that come together yeah, and fund this. And, and if you look at it, like, what's the currency over there, mm-hmm. right? Like, do you go American country uh, currency? Do you follow a different currency, like something mm-hmm. like Libra, where, you know, it's with oh, so many different, con- you know, startups? Right, right. So it, it's fascinating, like, not only the ecosystem from that point of view, but also, like you mentioned, right, who are the other startups? I think it's just going to be like very, almost any other industry. If you look at something like food, right? There's food delivery, there's food handling, there's the logistics, there's you know the SaaS platform that's helping restaurants, SaaS pl- 
helping perhaps uh, catering companies. Mm. So there's all, all these going to be micro, but as you mentioned, yeah, who's going to, what's, I don't think they may or may not be a dominant player, but there is going to be just like the merchant class because unlike before where the merchant class was very restricted just by the funds now, and, and the cost to really start up the company, right? Mm. Now, yes, there is a bit of that because to get to space, you need that ship or in this case, the rocket ship. But then beyond that, all these micro elements, it's been much easier to start a company now than mm. it was 200 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, and going back to the company's policy of like, you know, enforcing this, I think, a com I think eventually this private enterprise is going to force companies to compete with each other by opening up their policy. Being like, oh, cool, we're super open. Like, this is a free, like, almost a free trade zone. Right, right. You are able to figure out, you are, have like any, any right to like declare what you want. Right. Right. Just pay us this fee or give us a X percentage or even just operate out of here. Right. right. I mean, imagine this wealth of all these resources, but it has to go through, again, a port. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of entry. Right? You, you, to, to transact with, you know, with um, the rest of the planet. Exactly. Come through uh, one particular country, right? Yeah. So who's going to get that? Is it going to be like a new Silk Road that develops and whichever nation opens up the ports first or has the most infrastructure in place, take advantage of it? Yeah, and it's like, once, once you get up there, like, how do you deal with work? Like, mm. what is work over there? Is it just, are you just going to be farming over there and just mm. making sure you have food for the next generation? Because mm. I, I believe with SpaceX that, you know, the first hundred people who go there, they're not going to have a one-way, it's just a one-way ticket. You're not yeah. going to be able to come back considering, you know, you land safely, right? Yeah. So from that point of view, it's like, what's your job? It's really, is it just to produce offsprings and just make sure you're alive? Is that the end of it? And then once you start to have more of a, more of a civilization, people over there are still gonna be working, but are they just gonna be focused on that? Or is there gonna be some sort of connection, right? Because if you look at something, what you mentioned, like something like banking, right? there's going to have to be some sort of communication and in a way that's like remote work, right? So the aspect of social, so socialization, which is what we're struggling with here, is going to be similar over there. But obviously resources, the other issues, like how are they going to handle mineral material resources over there, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, everyone kind of focuses on you know, what it's, right? Like how we are going to, the sexy subject is like, how are you going to farm on Mars? Right. You know? How are we going to create food? Where is the fuel going to come? Like, like, what are people going to do? Like, right. said, how are you going to live? Like, what's going to happen to your bodies? Right? Like, everyone talks about the actual aspect of space, but what I'm kind of concerned about or focus on is organizational structure down here. Right. Right on Earth. Like, mm -hmm. because for the first like while, it's not going to be like, you know, somebody goes out, lands on Mars, and starts like a city. Right. It's not. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's going to be an exploitation based, like resource totally. exploitation, right? Totally. If you're going, you're mining something. You're going, you're going and taking soil samples, not yeah. just for scientific now, but for like actual private goods, right? You know, right. Imagine sampling parts of, of, of like the solar system, like where do we mine, right? And then people are funding these missions. Yeah. Right? That's where the fund's gonna come. And if that's gonna come, it goes down back to ownership, right? Taxes, who's gonna pay for what? And if there's a huge gold rush potential there, who's gonna benefit from that? Right. Right. Is it gonna be the uber rich who can finance these private things and do, is it personally financed? Sure. Right. Is it going to be re like, you know, is, are, are, is it going to be crowdsourced? So like even smaller people with like smaller funds right. can put in an X amount of dollars and be part of that and, you know, and, yep. and get a little bit of it. 
and how it's going to be regulated. You know, that's, that's so many of these yeah, questions yeah, totally. that have to be taken care of. Yeah, and, and I think it, it's interesting, you know, like from a point of view, if you look at uh, structures itself, right? Mm. Like historically, so that's one thing I, I speak about in my book in terms of flatter structures, right? Um, like the book name is Fluid, hence like it's more mm. like the stru structure itself yep. and, and the work that you're doing. So historically, we've had more hierarchical structures, right? Like King kind of dictates everyone what to do, right? And then on the flip side, there's something like ants. Ants are very flat, you know, they're completely distributed, everyone's kind of doing their own thing, right? And then you have in the middle, which, not in the middle, you have one step closer, which is something like a holacracy, right? Everyone's still kind of in different groups, but it's still somewhat flat, yeah. right? Then you have something that's flatter, where there's somewhat of an organization structure, and, but people are still flat, and then you have a flatarchy, which is a mix of hierarchy and flat. Right. So for companies, at least like if we're looking at companies in terms of like how they innovate well, it's the more flatter you are, the more the more adaptable you are. Right. And obviously that depends on the mindset. Right. Like if you have a leadership team that is completely not fixed on the similar mindset, then you, you're able to kind of adapt. So if you're looking at something like Mars and other planetary systems, you need to kind of be able to adapt, but again, who makes the call? Like perhaps there, there, there is like a council of Mars council or extraplanetary council, but if they're not flexible in terms of thinking, like how do we adapt to the new world, then it's still gonna be based on the similar structure that we have here, and it's gonna create a lot of friction, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because you, uh, you talked about organizational structures and, um, and the different variances. Like, what do you think is like an ideal organization? Like, is there an ideal? There isn't. There isn't. Like, as much as a lot of people might say, you know, go completely flat or go completely hierarchy, it really depends on the team size as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if you have, let's say, four or five people, it might not make sense to be completely flat, right? And again, it also depends on something that is the mindset of the leadership team, right? You, and it's also dependent on what you ultimately want to do. It, it all comes down to the purpose of the company, right? Exactly. What you're trying to achieve. Exactly. Mm. So, so if, if your purpose is really just to have real estate, you don't necessarily need something flatter, right? You just need someone who owns a real estate and like other people just doing the work per se, yeah. right? But if your concept of like, hey, how do we create more change in, let's just say, in our own company, right? Like, how do we perhaps look to be a bit more flatter so we can innovate and create new products and ideas? That's when you want to kind of be a bit more flatter, but it's very difficult. And this is where it's interesting. It, it's very difficult for taking a hierarchy company. So Zappos did this. So they had a hierarchy, right? Are you familiar with Zappos? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so they had a hierarchy and they went to holacracy model, yeah. right? And it created a lot of stir and it makes sense. Like imagine you work at a company for 10 years, right? You work up like manager, senior manager, or like SVP level. And suddenly the company's like, okay, we're getting rid of all positions. You're like, what did I do? All these what did I do, right? Yeah. Is my pay structure going to change? But hold on, Sally over here, she just joined the company. She's on the same pay level, mm. right? So you're like, well, I'm just going to move somewhere else, yeah. right? I don't so, feel valued. Exactly, yeah. right? And it's difficult. And from Sally's point of view, she's like, hey, I get more pay. I'm happy, right? I'm at the same level. And in a way, it kind of makes sense because, you know, some people might not have the fixed mindset. Some people might have a growth mindset, so they are able to innovate. But it comes... It's based purely on ego, mm. 
And I think ego is what holds a lot of companies back. So for example, Firestone tires, right? So, you know, we probably heard of Goodyear, right? So Firestone tires is one thing. Um, they were aware of radial tires, like the new innovation, right? Or to give you a, a better example, like Blockbuster, right? They thought they were in the industry of, you know, renting, right? Renting hand to hand. But in reality, NEFA comes in because they're looking at it from the new paradigm of, hey, we're not fixed with the old model. Mm. We're starting with a blank slate. And that's what allows them to kind of change. Right now, Netflix might be innovated in the future as well, but they're doing a pretty good job. And it also comes from the leadership as well. Are they able to adapt for the new and experiment, the number of experiments they're running? Yeah, I mean, like, that's the interesting part of like Zappos, right? Like, they were went, went the traditional way because as a, as, a, as a new company, it's easier to control all aspects when, yep. when you're a hierarchy. You know, you enforce a certain way, a certain vision, certain purpose, a mission. You can pivot, right? You can force the company in certain directions. Mm -hmm. And they raised to a point where they found their product market fit. They, they achieved a certain level of success and uh, have enough revenue coming in that they can go and think higher level. How can we be more creative? Exactly. How can we empower more people? And it ended up being the reason why Amazon acquired them, right? Like because of their, because of their work culture. Amazon wanted that because of, uh, of their creative ability. Exactly. And that's a, the that's a whole beauty of empowering people. So, like, I think I, uh, we take a lot of time in this company, to, like in Bluemax, to think about that as well. Like, you know, what's our organizational purpose? How do we organize ourselves? How do we empower people, but at the same time, maintain that level of that direction? Right. And it, I think it requires, like, an open communication within the firm. 100%. Of where it's going, uh, what your clear mission and mission is, and everyone be aligned with that. So as things change to after like this, it doesn't affect your ego as hard because right. you feel like you're part of this bigger purpose, a bigger mission. Mm -hmm. um, and it, like, I think the transparency is one of the best ways to dissolve ego. When you're transparent about your goals, where you're going, especially as like a, a, in a leadership position, um, it inspires a level of, um, of camaraderie. Where it's right. Like, okay, I'll give up a part of this. I'll sacrifice for now, yep. but for a greater tomorrow, right? And I think humans are really inclined for this kind of mentality. The idea of, I sacrifice now, but later, but the future will be better. But, but I would kind of do a bit of counter-argument mm -hmm. is that not everyone's adept at thinking long-term, right? It, it's, it's a trained muscle that we have to think about. Because if you look at previously our natural inclination of human nature is like i have food i have fire i'm going to keep warm and and feed myself because i'm not sure i'm going to be able to one live in the future and two if i'm going to be eaten by something else or if this food's going to be able to last longer right so so that's one aspect and it's a trained muscle that we have to do i'm not sure if you are familiar with this marshmallow test that they did with kids did you know about it yeah so you give a kid um, one marshmallow and say if you uh, you want two marshmallows you say you want just one now or two later exactly yeah exactly so like for us our human nature is like hey we want this now right but what ends up happening is we have to train ourselves and we have for a lot of people you know over time it's like hey let's think long term and it's part of the reason why a lot of people don't save for retirement because it's like hey much later right i don't have i just want to worry about now so it, it's a mixed duality that I think we just eventually need to like focus on and figure out how can we improve. I think, uh, have you explored the, the, the role of stress and, uh, that uh, has on, uh, on, on this phenomenon, the now versus... Uh, not, not as much. Yeah, so what stress does to the brain yeah. 
is that it, it for, forces all action like uh, it to coordinate towards the now, the present, mm. right? The fear, flight, influence. Right. When you're stressed out, um, you have higher cortisol levels. You have all this. Um, it forces you to be like flight or flight, like you know, right. like uh, survival mode. Your survival right. mode. And I think a lot of people right now live on survival mode. Uh, one because of a sedentary lifestyle, right? right. Because when you're sedentary and you're not working out, you're not doing hard physical things, especially, uh, your baseline for stress actually goes down, right? Your, your, your more, more muscle, ref, your muscle reflex gets changed. Right. Uh, so it goes down. So when your boss comes and slams uh, the, like, you know, a bunch of work on your desk or tells you, I need this from you from this day, right? You take it like a tiger is attacking you in a savanna. Exactly. Like your body reacts, you know, like you're being devoured. Right. Right. That's what panic attacks at work happen. Right. Like mm -hmm. when small trigger points trigger these kind of things. It's because we're attuned to that. So I think like it comes down to the point like if we, if we can reduce the stress level in humanity, right? If you're not focused on like shit, if I'm not working right now, I'm not making any money. My family's gonna starve. You know, I'm not gonna get this car. Somebody, this so and so is not gonna love me. Right. Right. Like all these things, focus. Like like stress makes us think of the now. And I think to get people to think of, of the future, right? Whether it be an organization or as a citizen in a, in a country, mm -hmm. like to think people, get people to host local time, you have to take care of, of I guess, of the base level things, right? And to allow them to think of the higher level things, yeah, right? And 100% uh, like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah, 100%. Right? Maslow's yeah. hierarchy of needs. So I think the main thing, like, so one of the things I uh, love talking about is universal basic income. Yeah, yeah. Right? Andrew Yang brought it to the forefront now, but old idea from Milton Friedman to like older thinkers from before. Right. Right. I mean, right down to like, uh, the, like, like initial thinkers of capitalism. Yeah. Right. The idea that um, you know you d the baseline of your income is no longer zero. You have consistent income coming in. Right. It forces you to train you to think. Oh, cool. How can I get more income coming in? Right. I have this coming in that gives me X amount, right. how can I get more? Um, so, and part of that is also to remove the existential anxiety of humans. If I don't do something now, I don't, I don't get to move on. I don't get to eat, right? I don't get to, yeah. you know, have sex. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, get yeah, to, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like, so remove these elements and you get a more creative society. And I think, I think we're gonna be pushed towards this if we truly are gonna be a, a, a machine um, automated society. Right. Right. Because what machines can't do is be creative. Right. The creative element is something that we provide machines. Exactly. Right. And machines can do the, take away like the hard, hard calculation problem that we, we struggle with. We, right. We're not tattooed to. They can do the mechanical number crunching. Yeah. But to have a proper machine and human art, like a, a hybrid intelligence. Yeah. Whether it be in an organization or whether, again, being a government, you have to remove this baseline anxiety for people. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's, it's also the aspect of getting people to agree with it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why there's a lot of political heat about it from and for Andrew Yang and a lot of others. Um, a, fr a friend of mine, uh, Floyd, he's actually leading the UBI initiative here in uh, Canada. Okay. And yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating because it's not only do you have to try and convince a lot of other people, but it's also tr showing the use cases and everything, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I completely agree, like once you have the baseline level meet, baseline needs met, then it becomes much easier yeah. to move forward, right? And I think that's where it's challenging for a lot of people. Less so here, not to say there aren't people struggling, there's actually over, I think over 100,000 people who are food insecure here yeah. in Toronto. 
that um, that it's also well, it's not even the base even like in the middle class, the upper middle class. Right. People are living by paycheck to paycheck. Right, 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 right. Right. A few hundred dollars to break them, even yeah. if they have they seem like they have X million dollars in assets. Right. Right. In this city, an average house is about eight hundred thousand dollars. Right. You can have all these assets, but literally, you're a paycheck away from breaking. Yeah. Right. So that is also existential anxiety. Yeah, and, and and it's and I'm curious how much, and I feel like it has. One, it's like keeping up with the Joneses, right? That person has this. I'm trying to gonna. I'm gonna also have this, and part of what that also means is like dealing with ego, and showing to others, hey, I'm okay, right? Because too often we don't talk about the negatives. We don't talk about the down. We don't talk about the challenges because we are taught to lead from our strength, mm-hmm. right? And that issue of, you know, like something like loneliness or, you know, something you're struggling with, or if you look at it like from a personal point of view, right? A lot of people, they, when you get married, it's like everyone knows about it, right? When it's divorce, it's very silent, right? Just like starting a company, a lot of fanfare, but when it goes down, it's like silent, right? And we don't talk about the challenges, but in reality, when we do open up about it, then other people who perhaps might have went through the same thing, they are able to learn from it mm-hmm. and it helps them as well, right? And I think that's the issue because we're so focused on showing our positive that we want to get the flashy cars, we want to get the flashy houses and everything that we don't think about, hey, what are the basic needs that we need as people, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it goes back down to like where people think, like how we think about progress in society, right? We think the rat race is the problem with the rat race right, of like trying to get ahead in life. Right. Is that it, like as a whole, it actually propels us. The consumerist society totally. kind, of, kind, of, kind of propels us forward, right? Mm-hmm. Where like everyone's struggling to like you know it's like a it's like, it's like a giant mound of resources. People are just scrambling to get as much of it under them as possible. Right. Right. And they look over and another person has more and they want they want to put more under them and they feel like they should have and they feel like there's a baseline that needs to be hit because they, they, that's, they need to survive. Yeah. 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 Right. But like they need more than that. Right. Like the, 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 but like, like the rat race of getting, of each, all these people having anxieties, like have more, push it, like, you know, propels the economy, propels society. We've kind of manufactured it be like that. Yeah. Right. And it's, and it's interesting. Like, if you look at it from that point of view, it's like, we're taught by whom, right? Like our parents and the education system. Mm. Right. And if you look at the education system, it's like, it's good for what it was. So if you look at um, the education system, 16, in the 1600s, the model is still the same of the way we teach. You know, like there's someone at the lecture hall and everyone else is trying to pay attention. And you'll feel, see like two kids like sleeping, right? So the model hasn't changed as much, right? And I think the thought process of, let's just say if you go to business school, mm-hmm. Or if you perhaps go uh, learn coding, right, at a four-year institution. By the time you graduate, so many things have changed that professors are trying to catch up and keep up with everything else, right? Not only the mindset, right? And even if you look at education, the old process before used to be like, hey, going to school was everything all you needed. But now there's not only can you have other alternatives, but you can also pay for school separately. There's, have you heard of uh, income share agreements for school? Income share agreements. Yeah, so, so basically, so right now, an average person who goes to college or university, they graduate, they have perhaps like 20, 30K in debt, right? 
much more so if you go to medical school or whatnot, right? Uh, income share agreements like, hey, you come, you learn, don't pay us anything. So you have two options. One is you pay whatever the fee is, or two, don't pay us anything. When you, when you graduate, then give, you pay a small percentage of your income until you've paid the tuition, and then you don't pay anything, right? So what ends up happening is on the old model... It incentivizes your growth. Yeah, exactly. On the old model, it's like with existing universities, it's like, hey, the universities just teach anyone, you and they're done. Is anyone considering this? There, there are so many, right? Income share agreements. Uh, there is a great school called Lambda School in U.S. and there it's a like, grade school? Yeah, sorry, it's a good school. Oh. Yeah, great. Great. Oh, yeah, great yeah, school. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's called Lambda School okay. and it's uh, for right now they only have coding, um, design and UX, I believe, okay. and I believe one other stream, but it's in a few different countries. And it's for nine months. You, you can either pay or you do this and at the end of it, they help you find a job. And if you think about it, there is skin in the game, right? Because if they don't help you find a job, they lose out. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the you know, old university model, it's like they don't have skin in the game. You either get a job or you don't, right? So it's a fascinating model from that point of view. Yeah, right? it's like when you say grade school, I thought you said like, you know, like when you're in elementary school, yeah, 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 like yeah. what a long-term <laughs> commitment you're signing on to. Yeah. But I mean, think about it, like, what, like, like the decentralization movement, right? I mean, we talk, now it's kind of attuned right to a blockchain. And exactly. Crypto, and right. they kind of absorb this movement. Right. But, I mean, if you think about the, the concept of that, right? We, we think of like private industry as all these semi-private things and because they act independently, um, they innovate right. because they're competing against each other and, you know, and that competition drives their differences. But what if like, but they all serve initial purpose. What if that all their, their resources can be blended into, a, into, into like a, into interweb, right? Where for everything from grade school to, you know, to elementary to university, Right, it's these program. These things are funded, right, right, by a this, this technology layer that connects you with your you know, your grades to your outcome and becomes like the verification layer on like, hey, cool, you helped in this part because of this, like you know, you you benefited, right, um, and then this goes into funding everything, right. Now this whole layer has, is much more powerful than an individual school, right, because. That has access to a wider base of people, mm-hmm. right? And because it's, it's because access to the layer independently, other the private players take on the instructional costs, but we it just verifies, like um, you know who's doing what, right? Right? It's on a on a wider yeah, scale. Yeah, I, I think that's fascinating because if you look at online courses, I don't know if you have ever tried doing any online courses, but the completion rate is shockingly low. It's like less than ten percent, if oh, I'm yeah. not mistaken. Because it's like online course, no one's really holding you accountable. You can stop when you want to, right? And from that point of view, it's like one, it's more challenging, but at the same time, doing it online, you have the world's best teachers, yeah. right? And in the future, so right now, if you look at why people go to universities, it's like to get the best education. Yeah. But best education comes from where? It's the instructors, right? And the, a lot of instructors, they can really go from anywhere. They, can, they don't have to teach at the university, they can go elsewhere. Yeah. So as people are breaking down and going less to universities, it's going to be the professors that are able to teach online, yeah. right? And as you have this blockchain model, um, one, it's, yeah, it's definitely a possibility, something like Coursera even, right? Because they're giving out certificates that, and a lot of people are homeschooling, then it ends up happening. Uh, what ends up happening is that, yes, you might have people who are much more adept who are much more adept at what's happening in the real world and it constantly changes. Mm-hmm. There is no concept of, you go to school, 
you study and you work, right? You're constantly going to have to reskill. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting idea of like giving back to the institution that provided for you, right? Because um, it, 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 it creates a relationship barrier to what something you've done, like more of a long-term relationship. 100%. Uh, and if the you look social at, aspect especially, right? Yeah, and if you look at all the successful schools, they're successful because they have a brand, mm-hmm. right? They pay right. for that brand, right. but also because the alumni champion it. Right. They feel so connected to, the, to, to what, what they got out of it, mm-hmm. that they give back financially, they talk about it. Like, look at Ivy, like they, I think they have, um, Ivy School of Management, they have global meetups. Right. Wherever you are, wherever you, if you're an Ivy, uh, Ivy alum, working in like uh, even Singapore to like Malaysia, you can find a lot like, yep. you know, like, like pretty, ra- pretty like, uh, rapid like meetups. Right. Right. This in your vicinity where alums will come together and like, hey, you know, how are you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it has developed this global thing. But another another institution, uh, like, I, but the problem with this, this arena is that the unfair com- competi- competition. Old institutions are relying more on, the, on a wider base. Right. But also on their brand. Right? Yep, hundred percent. The I think the twenty the twenty first century version of like branding is going to change because now you can verify what that brand is doing, right. not just what it's saying. Yeah, right. And uh, I think people want to connect more, get get informed more about what it does. So more and more, I think more and more uh, as we we talk about it, that verification the verification layer becomes essential to this. Yeah. How do we enforce two way communication? That this institution is doing uh, doing what it's, what it actually is claiming to do. Yeah, and it's interesting if you also look at their flip model, which is like halfway through the system, which is mm-hmm. Stanford dropout. Yeah. You hear that so often, right? Harvard dropout, right? So sometimes uh, from a um, signaling point of view, as Naval Ravnikant says, you know, from like signaling, it might be even better to just get into Stanford just to drop out, so you can say you're a Stanford dropout. Yeah, you're utilizing the brand exactly, uh, and that's what the institutions become, right? It's become like, hey, we have uh, attracted all the all these great minds to provide all these great research, and these are the these are the verification for that, right? Use that to develop a, a, a ver- verification validation in the right. market, right? Put up a paywall and be like, pay us to access right. this market, and, we'll, and this is the end result what you'll get. Yeah, and it, that's 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 the holy promise of these high level institutions now, right? And, and the one benefit is if you look at developing countries where they don't have access to top tier education, now you can have. Now the world's not limited, that it frees up so much talent pool. You look at, look at developing nations, there's so many amazing, like the next Bill Gates or the next person who can cure cancer could be someone from Africa or rural or Mauritania or somewhere else that this allows them to really have access to equal mm. playing field, right? And it's no longer like, hey, someone's gonna pay for all your education and a scholarship so you can get into the top tier university. It's more like, hey, mm. who can do the work? So one of the, also one of the problems about this level of thought, right? It falls into the the whole debate around uh, the equality of outcome. Exactly. Um, the problem being is that it might necessarily be not be good for equality of outcome. Right. Because the, because having these gateways, having these places where even even though it's unfair, mm-hmm. right, to limit a number of the thing creates value for that, right? Like look at real estate, right? Right. There's X amount, let's say. A hundred million dollars in real estate available in a particular marketplace, right? Right, and you put up a gateway saying it's going to only can be fifteen realtors, right? Um, suddenly, it's very valuable. Being a realtor becomes valuable in that thing. That gateway has given value to that market space, right? So each individual person now can extract value from that. So whatever they whatever they had to go through, whether it passed the best 
the exam scores sure. or best uh, or like you know or just pay and get get access sure they go ahead and do it but if you open it up to everybody and like now a hundred you know a hundred uh, thousand people ten thousand people become realtors and access the same market now some of the value independent value is not there anymore just because you have access to the opportunity now has diluted the opportunity yes but in a way that makes once you have like a lot of um, once you have a noise so to speak the good ones rise up, right? Just like creating any sort of content, creating a company. Right now, it's so much more easier to start a company, yet to grow it is much harder. Okay. Whereas before, starting a company was enough, mm. right? Or creating an ad, right? You, create, you, have, you buy a piece of billboard before, you're yeah. done, you're gonna get sales. But now, you know, where some of the super high estimates are, we consume up to like 5,000 ads a day, mm. right? So it's looking at like, how do you kind of rise up above the noise and that way it allows you to yes on one basic layer have like some same level of education or hierarchy of needs met but then one level up is like how do you kind of find the quality yeah 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 yeah, yeah i mean and also like look what happened with graphic design all right graphic design has been falling for a long time the cost of graphic like getting like high quality graphics is so low but it becomes such a tiered schedule right because you're, you're right because the access to that market is open. You, anyone with a computer now can go and learn the skills to develop. Now it's up to your creativity. The playing field is your creativity right. in performing that. So people can play on that. And some people have super high creatives and have the ability to sit there and focus on their creative ability. Some are naturally gifted and they rise up. Yeah. Right? But the problem is, as a marketplace, it's completely different from what it 100%. used to be. Right? It's no longer, oh, I've, I have gone through the school, I've got the access key to it, and now I'm in it. Um, it's more about, again, talent. Yeah, and to talent and work as well. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not gonna lie that luck does not apply into this, right? Mm -hmm. Luck does apply. So mm -hmm. it's like ta talent, hard work, and luck, right? So I think you need all those three aspects, right? Because you could, you could do a lot of hard work, but you might not, you might just be creating shitty designs, right? Yeah. Um, or you might be doing a lot of work, you have good designs, but you just need like a break. Right? Just like having yeah, music, yeah. right? You'll have like someone like Ed Sheeran, you know, playing guitar for like 10 years and he has one song and then that just brings him up to the top, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, we talked a lot of abstract ideas here. I really appreciate you, you going yeah. off on different tangents with me. But uh, let's go run back to what you're doing. Well, tell me a little bit more about your book, where people can find it. Yeah. Find more about you. Yeah, so the book's called Fluid. It is a business innovation book. And what I wanted to understand is not only based on my experience of innovating within my own uh, previous company, but also what's today true in innovation, not only now, but also way back in the past, such as like the Mongolian empire, right? Like how did this empire become one of the largest empires, right? It wasn't just by standing stationary, it was by innovating, yes. right? So what stayed true, not only with them, but also startups today, and what's gonna stay true in the future, right? What's, what's a common thread? Mm. And that is basically what, um, what I came across in this book, and that's, that's amazing. what it's about. Yeah. I, I love fighting the Mongols. So I, I ran into a, um, a YouTube channel called Kings and Generals. Okay. Obsessed. <laughs> I am so obsessed, because gotcha. I think it goes into strategies and the thought mm. patterns of different cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I started with the Mongols, when it reached the other ones. Gotcha. But it's such a refreshing look when you study a different culture and how right. they organize themselves. Yeah. Um, because they come from a, it, it comes from a different realm of thought. 100%. And it opens it up. 
So really gonna really really gonna appreciate this book 100%. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through that. Awesome. Um, hope others can find it too. Do you have a website or anything you want to pull up and uh, showcase? Yeah. People so to find you? so one thing I'm focusing on now is Council Club. So Council Club is a community of remote leaders. Yeah. There you go. So it's basically often when we work on our companies or if you're working remotely, mm -hmm. what ends up happening is people are just working by themselves at home or a coffee shop, but you're very isolated. You can't really talk to others. So Council Club is a curated community of remote leaders. So, you know, what if you can virtually co-work with someone, right? It's all done through online. So whether you're in Vietnam or perhaps Australia or Toronto or London, you can all have someone to bounce ideas with because often we're just isolated by ourselves. So this is kind of like having a virtual, you know, co-founder even, right? So mm. that's Council Club. Great. And um, perfect. Awesome. Where, so where, where can we find you? What are your socials? Yeah, so it's uh, Najib Khan is my website. You can find um, all the information there. Um, and I'm at, at It's Najib on all the different socials. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>